Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. I would say that it's always a good thing when we have to trust the Lord. Amen? It's always a good thing. But especially when things aren't going the way you think they should. That's a good time to trust the Lord. You know, we, we often measure success by, by how popular somebody is or by how famous they are. Are you more or less famous than Josh McCown? <laughs> we measure success by our position at the office or in the factory. We measure success by the size of our home or the cost of our car or the length of our boat. But God uses a very different standard of measurement than people do. And I'm glad about that. When God measures a man, He doesn't put the tape measure around his head or his wallet, but around his heart. You may remember the story from the Old Testament where God tells Samuel to go to Bethlehem and find a king. God had chosen one of Jesse's sons to be the king. King David was his name. But at the time, Samuel didn't know who it was to be. God had not revealed to him who was supposed to be the king. So we're going to pick up the storyline in 1 Samuel chapter 16 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning at verse 1. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I've rejected him from being king over Israel? It was time for a new king, because Saul had lost his way. Morally, spiritually, theologically, Saul was done. God needed to create a new, uh, a new king in the country. <clears throat> so he says to Samuel, Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, Well, how can I go? If, if Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Well, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked on Eliab, that's one of Jesse's sons, and and thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Did you catch that? Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So happy Father's Day, fellas. And oh, by the way, the Lord is looking at your heart. 
Not something that we think about on Father's Day or any other day in particular, but the Lord looks upon our hearts. You you cannot measure a man's effectiveness by the standards of the world. God has different measurements in mind for people. He has different measurements in mind for men, for fathers, for grandfathers, especially on this Father's Day as we celebrate. There are several measurements that we want to talk about today. What are they? The first one is commitment. Commitment. That's a measurement, I think, that God takes in our lives as men, as fathers, grandfathers. Commitment. Let's have a look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Effective fathers, successful fathers, are men who are committed, first of all, to the Lord Jesus Christ and to living their lives as living sacrifices to Him. So don't be pressured. Don't be pressed into the world's mold. Be transformed in your heart. Be transformed in your mind. Follow Jesus and obey the Word of God. Present yourselves to God every day as a living sacrifice, ready and pleasing to the Lord to do His will, not your own. Commitments. That kind of spiritual commitment to Jesus will naturally translate and naturally migrate into a commitment to your, to your wife and to your children and to your grandchildren if you have them. Oliver DeVink was just three months developed in his mother's womb when his mother, Catherine, had an accident. Uh, gas was leaking from the stove in the kitchen and Catherine lost consciousness on the kitchen floor. She was rescued a short while later, but... But when Oliver was born six months later, he was born blind. Eventually, the doctors would tell the DeVinks that Oliver was not only blind, but that he also had severe brain damage from the accident. The gas that Catherine inhaled early in her pregnancy had caused this um, developmental delay in Oliver's life. So the DeVinks asked the examining physician what they should do with their son, and He suggested that they find a good group home and place him in a group home where he would be cared for and comfortable. Well, Jose and Catherine talked about it together and decided that they they couldn't do that. They just couldn't do that, and it wasn't an option for them. He's our son, said Jose. Um, That's not an option for us. We will take him home. And so the doctor said, then take him home and love him. And they did, for 33 years. But even as an adult, Oliver was, was only the size of a 10-year-old boy. He had a large head. His, his limbs were, were twisted. He required constant care for all of his life. They had to feed him and change him and toilet him and bathe him. They had, they had to do everything for him. Years later, his younger brother, Christopher, asked his father, how did you manage to care for Oliver 
for 33 years. How did you do that? He said, it was not 33 years, son. It was not 33 years. I would just ask myself, can I feed Oliver today? Can I take care of him today? And of course, the answer was always yes. I am so glad that God's standard of measurement of a man is different than ours. Aren't you? Yeah. I'm so glad about that. We can learn a lot from committed fathers like Jose de Vinc. He models for us one of the secrets of effective fatherhood. The effective father is is one who maintains a long-term commitment to his family no matter what. No matter what. And that is, that is simply a copy, it's a reflection, it's a, it's a shadow of the long-term commitment that God the Father has made to each and every one of us. And so when we commit to our families and when we commit to our children, we're reflecting the love of the Father and the commitment of the Father to us. Does that make sense? It's a wonderful measurement that God uses. The second measurement I'd like to talk about today is Appreciation. Successful fathers express their appreciation for their children and to their children frequently. The Apostle Paul has long been my mentor in this because he, he's constantly encouraging and uh, expressing his appreciation for his spiritual children. I mean, just about every letter that Paul ever wrote begins with words of, of encouragement and appreciation and uh, Uh, and inspiration. Uh, For example, Romans chapter 1, verse 8. He says, First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. So he gets very specific in his appreciation of of them. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4 is another one. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 15, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Encouragement and appreciation. He also told the church at Philippi that he loved them and longed for them. He said they were his joy and crown. (laughs) We don't talk that way very much. You're my joy and crown. But can you imagine what those those words would sound like a modern contemporary equivalent, what those words would do to the heart of your son or your daughter if they heard them frequently, if not daily or several times a day. Can you imagine how, how their hearts would grow and how they would flourish as, as sons and daughters or granddaughters or grandsons when their fathers or grandfathers, their parents express these words of appreciation? You are my joy and crown. You're so precious to me, I can't even begin to explain how much I love you and how much I appreciate you. To my daughter, I say, you're stinking delightful. (laughs) To my son, I say, you've got what it takes to be a mighty man of God. You've got what it takes. Can you imagine what that does to your kids' hearts? They just... (sighs) They can take on the world. 
Your children and your spiritual children need plenty of encouragement and appreciation. Uh, You know that William James was a a pioneer in the field of psychology, and he wrote often and wrote much about uh, basic human needs. Well, he he admitted to a reporter uh, several years after writing a, a few textbooks that he had forgotten or he had omitted one of the most important and most basic needs uh, in a human being's life, the need to be appreciated. We all need that, right? Words of appreciation, one of the five love languages that Dr. Gary Chapman talks about, words of, words of appreciation. We, we, all, we all enjoy being appreciated. How much more your children and your grandchildren need that? So how often do you express sincere appreciation for your kids. One young woman said, growing up, I remember my dad coming into my room every night after I'd gone to bed and slipped under the covers. He would kneel beside my bed, stroke my hair back, and then he would tell me something specific that he appreciated about me. Sometimes my father would focus his comments, excuse me, Sometimes my father would focus his comments on my schoolwork or my sports. Often he would comment on the way I cared for my siblings or helped out my mother. But every night, every single night, I went to bed knowing that my father loves me and appreciates me. I'll tell you something. I want to be like that, Dad, when I grow up. I want to be like this guy. I, I, because I want my, my kids and I want my grandkids to, to, to remember me for words of appreciation and words of encouragement, not words of criticism and judgment and scorning. Are you with me, guys? Are you with me, guys? Okay, you're, you're there. Good. I was saying to the team before we got started, you know, Father's Day is one of these funny days in the church calendar year. Some of us can't wait to get to church to celebrate Father's Day Celebrate our kids, celebrate our dads. It's an exciting, adventurous, wonderful day. And there are others who have had not such a great experience with their fathers, and they dread the day. I got an email from somebody who said, I will not be there on Sunday. It's Father's Day. Can't bear it. So I I get that. I, I know that. I didn't have a father who expressed words of appreciation to me, ever, that I can remember. Maybe you you didn't either. But that's no excuse for us. We can start fresh. We can break that cycle of non-appreciation by becoming one who appreciates and expresses words of appreciation to our kids. You say, well... We come from a different culture. Yeah, but your kids were born here. And your kids were born into this culture. And this culture is one that needs and desperately longs for words of appreciation. They need it. It's never too late to start fresh. It's never too late to learn how to express appreciation for your kids or your grandkids. The third measurement, time together. Effective fathers spend time with their families and they communicate with their families while they're with them. (laughs) It's not not just time together in front of the TV set 
or time together in the car as you're driving along on holidays down to the tip of southern Florida for three days. It's not just time together, it's communicating with your family while you're spending time together. In a survey conducted several years ago, 1,500 school children were asked a single question. What do you think makes for a happy family? They didn't list cars and boats and trailers and, and, and vacation homes and uh, cabins at the lake. None of that. They simply said doing things together. The overwhelming majority of the kids said a happy family is created by doing things together. And a debate has raged for decades now as to whether uh, what's more important, a quality time with your kids, right? You've heard this. Or a quantity of time. Is it quality or quantity? Dumbest thing I ever heard. That's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. You can't have quality without quantity. You've got to have both. You have to spend time together in order for your words of encouragement and your words of advice to, to sink into the hearts of your children or your grandchildren. It doesn't happen just instantaneously. It takes time. In Proverbs chapter 5, a father is asking his son to be attentive. Be attentive to, to my instruction. Be attentive to my wisdom. I've got things I need to share with you. Well, that's a learned response. Kids learn to be attentive when they see it modeled well at home. To have an attentive son, you have to be an attentive father. To be a, have an attentive daughter, you need to be an attentive father or mother. They, they learn that response. They can be taught how to respond. In, in a recent experiment, uh, a social scientist discovered that most married couples, on average, spend about 17 minutes a week in face-to-face -face communication. 17 minutes a week! You, you can't grow a healthy marriage. You can't sustain a healthy marriage on 17 minutes a week of face-to-face -face communication. And you cannot nurture healthy, stable, emotionally secure kids on 17 minutes a week. You've got to spend more time together. Quality and quantity go together. So dads, if you want your son or your daughter to be attentive to your wisdom, your great, infinite, incredible wisdom, and you want them to incline their ears to your understanding, then you have to spend time together and you have to communicate well with them in that time that you've got. Take it from me. It goes by really, really, really fast. And you've only got one chance to do it right the first time. The final measurement we'll talk about today for a couple minutes is spiritual coaching. Spiritual coaching. Effective dads, successful fathers, coach their children spiritually. I think that one of the most important things about becoming a successful, effective Christian father is, is to help your children discover on their own how they can have a relationship with God. Is it, if, you don't, if you don't coach them in that, if you don't teach them how to do that, what are they going to do when you're gone? They, they, they can't rely fully on you for the rest of their lives. They need to learn how to have a relationship with God on their own. 
Paul specifically addresses fathers in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says, Dads, dads, bring up your kids in the instruction and training of the Lord. Ephesians 6, 4. So dads, please don't neglect the spiritual mentoring of your kids. Fathers, please don't leave this job to your wife. Don't depend on the kids gathering. They can help. A a strong, faithful, gospel-centered youth ministry can help. But you are the primary disciplers of your family. Your kids need you to step up and be the spiritual mentors that you need to be. It's something we cannot delegate to someone else. We, we can't neglect it. Our first disciple-making responsibility is at home. And, and I know it's easy to be intimidated with that, fellas, because our wives just so, almost naturally have an, a stronger in- inclination to be spiritual than we do. And so it's, it's doubly, you know, we have to work, as guys, we've got to work at this a little more. Don't be intimidated by that. Get at it. We'll help you. We'll, we'll, we'll give you some books. We'll, we'll send you to a conference. We'll pray with you. We'll do whatever we can. If you're serious, we'll, we'll, we'll make it work together. But we need to embrace our role as spiritual leaders in the home. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. So he's talking to parents. And I'm I'm specifically talking to dads today on Father's Day. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you take them out for a wagon ride in the evening, When you go to the park, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, Dad, in contemporary language, take every opportunity that comes your way every day to encourage every one of your children to walk with the only God. There are a myriad of opportunities. It doesn't always have to be a 15-minute Bible study after supper every night, even when they can see the kids in the neighborhood playing outside the picture window in the living room. They are sitting there studying the Bible. It doesn't have to be that. That's a good practice too, but uh, it doesn't have to be only... I mean, when you get up in the morning, when you lie down at night, when you're walking in the way, when you go to the park, when you take them for a bike ride, when you drive them to school in the car, I mean, use those opportunities to mentor, coach your kids spiritually. Ask them on Sunday morning after the kids' gathering is over, what, what did you learn? Tell me what you learned. What was your class about? Jesus. <laughs> Typically the answer that my granddaughter gives, honey, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Uh, it's about Jesus. Yeah. So I've taken on this thing at home. Uh, you know, Patty says to me, well, honey, what are you thinking about? Oh, Jesus, God, the Bible, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> so maybe she comes by quite naturally. 
Take every opportunity, every day, to encourage every one of your children, every one of your grandchildren, to walk with God. I mean, I might die poor. I might not leave an inheritance. I, I may have nothing when I die. But if my kids and my grandkids are walking with God, I'll die the richest man on the planet. Right? When God measures a man, when He measures a father, He doesn't put the tape measure around his head or his wallet, but around his heart. Don't look on the outward appearance, Samuel. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man, I believe with all my heart that in Christ Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit, you... You have what it takes to be not just a good father, but to be a great father. You have what it takes. The resurrection power of Jesus that is already at work in you, unleashing the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have what it takes. So now you just need to walk in it. And I don't want good. I don't want good. I want great. I don't want to be just a good dad. I don't want to be just a good grandfather. I want to be the best. I want to be great. A few years ago, Jim Collins wrote a book titled From Good to Great. It was on the New York Times bestseller list for eons of weeks. Made him a bucket load of money. But it's a really good book, From Good to Great. In the book, he says, good is the enemy of great. Think about it. That's one of the key reasons why we have so little that becomes great. We don't have great schools, principally because we have good schools. We don't have great government, he says, principally because we have good government. Few people attain great lives in large part because it's just too easy to settle for a good life. Dad, is that what you've done? Have you settled for okay? I'm doing okay. You know, I'm fair to Midland. Better than average, maybe. Good. Is that what you've settled for? Brothers, you have settled perhaps into a a self-focused enjoyment of the good life. You're enjoying all that grace brings to your your work life and your your family life and your, your walk with God and your... You're good with good. But let me tell you something, brothers. You have been rescued by Jesus not to be part of something good, but to be part of something great. God wants you to be part of something great. I believe with all my heart He doesn't want us to settle for good or okay. He wants us to press into great To have a great marriage. To have a great life. To have a great career. To be a great employee. To be a great father. To be a fantastic, great, involved grandfather. I believe that's what God wants for us. You've been chosen by God, men, and filled with the Holy Spirit of God to transcend the boundaries of your own hopes and dreams to transcend the boundaries of your own plans and purposes, and might I say, to transcend the boundaries of even your own family, 
so that you can be effective and successful and helpful and inspirational in the lives of others. You have been chosen by God to be part of the glory of God. And I say that because in, in your, your commitment uh, to your family, to your kids, in your, uh, the expression of your appreciation for them, in the time that you spend together with them, and, 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 and in the way that you coach them uh, spiritually, you are putting the glory of God on display for everyone to see. That's what you're doing. As you do those things, you're actually putting the glory of God on display for everyone to see. The seen and the unseen worlds are witnessing nothing short of the glory of God when you present your bodies as living sacrifices to God and you become, you press into becoming a great father, not just a good one. And all of the people, whether they know it or not, are giving assent to the glory of God in your life. That's what I mean about being part of something bigger than, greater than just being a good father. Be a great father. Lean in to this, this amazing opportunity to be a great father. Every time you surrender your life to the Lord Jesus Christ in a fresh way. Every morning when you get out of bed and say, Lord Jesus, I want to be a great father today. I want to be the best grandfather I can possibly be to my kids and my grandkids You place yourself under the the fatherhood of God, the good, good father, who fathers us so that we can father our kids. That's how it ought to be. We ought to be like a, a fresh conduit for the father of God to father us so we can father our kids. And by his grace and by his glory, you will do it. Dad, have you settled for something too small? In the midst of the total disaster of sin, have you settled for something good when you've been chosen for something great? By God's grace, you have what it takes. With the resurrection power of Jesus Christ in you and the Holy Spirit of God flowing through you, you can do this by His grace and for His glory. Amen? Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, on, on this Father's Day, it, it's, it's really an unparalleled joy to acknowledge that You are the Father that we've always longed for and always needed. Our most loving and engaged fathers have been a wonderful hint to us of what it means to be Your beloved children. But they could never be to us all what, what you alone can be. And our, our most broken and irresponsible fathers cannot rob our hearts of the joys that we find in knowing you and crying, Abba, Father. Lord, thank you for adopting us through the finished work of Jesus. Thank you for freeing us from our slavery to sin and our orphan-like ways. Thank you for giving us the spirit of sonship a secure place in your family and an inheritance that can never spoil or fade because it's kept in heaven for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for promising to complete the work that you began in us and for always and only disciplining us in love even when it hurts. 
Father, today, I thank you for grace to forgive our earthly fathers who failed us, including those who broke our trust or hurt us and misrepresented you to us. Lord Jesus, continue to heal us and free us from the lingering effects of that. You are such a good Father, and we love you. And thank you this morning for the grace to acknowledge our failings as parents, moms and dads, and for promising us the strength we need to humble ourselves before our kids. We want to trust you to to write the rest of our story of redemption in our families. Please do so, Father, to your glory. And lastly, Father, we want to thank you today for the spiritual dads that you've given to us, the dads of grace, men in our church who may be living far away from their own kids or their grandkids, but they've stepped up in such a big way to just encourage and give words of appreciation to kids in our own church. Thank you for that. I pray that you'll that you'll help us to discover more and more and more of the multidimensional love of God. And we pray all of this in the merciful and mighty name of Jesus. Amen and amen.